Stefan, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to have a conversation with me. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Stefan Kinsella. I'm a patent attorney in Houston, Texas. I'm from Louisiana originally, and I've been a longtime um, uh, writer and researcher in the libertarian and Austrian space. So I've written a lot of work on um, rights theory, libertarian theory, legal theory, um, and in my legal career, I specialized in intellectual property law and also international law. So um, I'm probably best known in libertarian circles for my rights theory and my intellectual property theory. I'm a patent attorney, but I've also been arguing for the abolition of patent and copyright law for about 25 uh, plus years. So can you tell me more about that, more about your rights theory? And what was the other thing you mentioned that you said you're most known for? Uh, intellectual property, which is patent law and copyright law. Um, so um, I got interested in libertarianism, you know, in high school and then in college and have been interested in Austrian economics and other free market economics uh, that whole time and related political philosophy and history and philosophy and all that. Um, but I gravitated towards um, a view of rights, which was pioneered by, say, Ayn Rand and then Murray Rothbard and other other thinkers and the economics of the Austrian school, which is Ludwig von Mises and and some other thinkers like Rothbard and Hayek. Um, and so rights theory, I've written um, a defense of a principled version of individual rights and in the libertarian framework that is what we call the non-aggression principle. I don't know how, how basic or elementary to get for your audience. I don't want to talk down to people, but libertarians believe in the non-aggression principle. That's one way we describe our, our primary political principle. And I've written in defense of that. Um, and then I've written some applications of that, like um, uh, the idea of that patent law and copyright law and other forms of intellectual property um, are totally unjust and should be abolished and are not, uh, they're not good laws. So that's been my field of interest for um, a good two or three decades. All right. And why do you think, like you mentioned, you came up with a version of property rights. What is your version of property rights? <clears throat> right. So um, there are, I would say uh, there are, uh, there are two different um there are many different uh, versions of political philosophy in the world, right? There's socialism, fascism, theocracy, democracy, communism, uh, whatever, classical liberalism. Um, cl uh, there's sort of a radical version of classical liberalism, which we call libertarianism, which is the modern version. It's been around for about six, 60, 70 years. Um, and we basically favor a radically limited state or a zero state for the anarchists among us, of which I am, I'm, I'm an anarchist libertarian, um, um, and uh, radically free markets and private property rights. So the way we distill that is by, we say that we favor the non-aggression principle, which means that we oppose any law that, and we oppose any private action that is aggression. And to us, aggression is the initiation of force against someone else's private property rights. And if, if you word it like that, which I just did, you'll notice that it leaves something out. It leaves out, well, then what is private property, right? So uh, if aggression means the use of someone's property without their consent, what is their legitimate property right? So in a sense, the non-aggression principle, which a lot of libertarians think is fundamental to our cause, um, is sort of a, a, a summary or a shorthand to reflect what we really believe, which is that you shouldn't use someone's property without their consent, but property understood in a certain way. So in a, in a sense, all libertarian uh, views, and in fact, all political philosophies boil down to your property rights allocation principle. So sometimes free marketeers and private property rights people, libertarians, classical liberals, conservatives say that, hey, we're in favor of private property, unlike the socialists, let's say. But that's not quite right because basically every political philosophy on the earth, every regime has a view of private property rights. Um, 
they just differ in how they believe the rights should be allocated. Okay, so the classical private law idea, which the libertarians take to a consistent extreme, is that um, property rights come from the first use of unowned resources, which is John Locke's idea of homesteading. Like if you see attractive land in the middle of the wilderness and no one's using it, you can homestead it by first using it, by mixing your labor with it, he says, um, or by acquiring that property by contract from a previous owner. Now, that's what's unique about libertarianism in my view, and that's how I define it by narrowing it down to its core uh, property rights allocation principles. Um, whereas every other political philosophy on the earth, they vary in the details, but from our perspective, they're all socialistic in the sense that they all end up being in, in what we call an institutionalized interference with private property rights. Because um, even a minimal state, right? But let's take you know moderate socialism or communism or theocracy or fascism. In every one of these cases, you have an institution, the state or the government, which lays down rules for ownership of property, which derogate from the original ones that I mentioned. So, for example, if you tax someone, you're taking some resources that they own by the natural principles of first use and by um, contract, and you're giving it to someone else just by government decree. Or if you conscript someone's body into fighting a war, <laughs> then you're taking their body even though they're, they're the natural owner of their body because of self-ownership. Or if you put someone in prison because they smoked marijuana or sold cocaine, then you're putting their body in prison. So you're acting as the owner of their body, which is a form of slavery. So basically libertarians are opposed to slavery. They believe in self-ownership and they believe in the core principles of property rights, which is homesteading and contract. So all other political systems derogate from that to some degree. So in our view, every state, no matter what the form, is socialistic and criminal to a degree. The, uh, the, the flavors vary and the details vary, but that's how we view things. Okay, and even if I grant that this is a more moral way to view things, why would we prioritize this society over one that, say, conscripts soldiers? Because uh, if, say, one society conscripts soldiers, they have a military, your society doesn't, they use yep. their military to conquer you, you lose. That's, so a good, it's, that's, a, that's a good question. That's actually the right way to ask the question because it gets down to what your fundamental value is. So sometimes libertarians are criticized because they say that, well, you libertarians, your only value is liberty. And that is actually partly true, partly wrong. It's, it's, it's wrong because no one is just a political animal. No one's just a libertarian. We all live in the world. We all have values and things that are important to us outside of you know what the law should be. Um, however, libertarians do believe that it is unjust to commit aggression against people, which means it's unjust to initiate violence against an innocent person who's done nothing wrong to you. So as Robert Nozick, who's a famous uh, libertarian political philosopher, um, said, uh, we view rights as what we call side constraints. So in other words, they shouldn't enter into a utilitarian calculus that we balance everything and say, well, liberty is one of many important values, which is what a lot of conservatives say. They'll say, well, liberty is important, but it's not the only thing that matters. Now, in a sense, libertarians would agree with that. We don't think liberty is the only thing that matters because we're not just libertarians. We're humans living in society, and we think lots of things matter. But we do believe that it is, it is unjust to violate people's rights and to violate their liberty rights and their property rights. Um, so there are side constraints. So, so the, the basic argument would be that um, anyone proposing a policy or an action or a law that uses someone else's property rights or their body without their permission or their consent um, needs a justification. And our view is they just simply can't justify it. So we, we, our view is socialism in all its forms, which would include criminal acts, because, again, socialism is the institutionalized interference with private property rights. And so private criminals can be viewed as ad hoc socialists because they're 
they're redistributing property rights on an ad hoc basis. They're not institutionalized. So, but the main danger is the redistribution of private property rights or interference with private property rights. So I guess our answer to your original question would be, um, if you are not concerned with justice, then you won't be concerned with private property rights. So we could take an extreme example, which the minarchists and the moderates and the classical liberals won't like, or the conservatives won't like, but let's say there's a guy that needs sex and he can't find a woman who wants to have sex with him. So he rapes a woman. Okay. So the rapist is a criminal who is using a woman's body without her consent. And from his point of view, her liberty is not his concern. He doesn't value justice. All he cares about is sexual gratification or domination or whatever is in his mind. There are people like that in the world. There are outlaws and criminals and uncivilized people outside of society. And society, the remaining people that do value justice and justification, we have to band together to fight off these people. That's what the legal system and criminal justice is about. But the existence of people that don't care about justice doesn't affect the arguments for justice, and it doesn't affect the fact that you simply cannot argumentatively justify any act of criminality, aggression, or socialism. Well, my question is more like, suppose I am starting a new country, and I'm yeah. trying to decide what is the correct political system to adopt in this country. And comparing the two systems, I have one system where I can constrict conscript a military and your system, I cannot do that. So if I adopt the ANCAP system, I cannot conscript a military. Uh, but if I don't have that option, then if somebody else has a military and they come and try to take my land, I have no way to stop them. So I'm trying to assess which of these models is the better model right. to adopt. And I can grant that from the ANCAP perspective that it's always immoral to force anyone to do anything they don't consent to doing. Something along those lines is how I my my moral principle. And so if I'm going to force people to be conscripts, that's immoral. I'm doing an immoral thing. But if I don't, I lose the country. And so it seems like sometimes there are justifications for forcing people to do things they don't consent to. And if I choose a country that has a military, that's going to give me an advantage over being an ANCAP in this situation. So... That's, again, a fairly fair way of, of phrasing the dilemma that you face or the way you're look, trying to look at it. So the way I would look at it is this. Uh, anarchists are not saying we have a system that's better than your system. That's a, We would say that's a status way of looking at it, like, oh, what system should we impose, right? So we're not trying to say we should impose anarchy. So as a core matter… And again, this is my personal perspective. Lots of anarchists would disagree with me on this, but my my personal perspective is that um, to be an anarchist simply means to have a full recognition of the fact that um, that aggression is unjustified. I didn't say it was immoral, by the way. You used the word immoral, so we have to be clear about our, our concepts. Unjustified means you can't. If you try to justify your actions, you can't do it. I'm not denying that you can perform an act of aggression. You can conscript people. But the question is, if you want to justify it, you have to come up with an argument that is consistent with the presumptions of discourse and peace, and that is, um, and, and that, that actually comes up with reasons that justify what you're doing. Um, so what, what you're doing is, I think the best way to characterize what you're getting at is what we would call um, rights utilitarianism. Okay, so what you're saying is, okay, it might be true that it violates someone's rights to conscript them, but if we if we have a policy or a system that does that, it will reduce the overall amount of rights violations because this country will be able to defend itself from an outside invader. Now, I would first notice that I would first note that what you're describing is a world of statism where there's a bunch of uh, criminal states, which are threats to some free re some relatively free region. So. I don't know, China, North Korea, Russia, Com Soviet Union, whatever, that are threats to the free region. And so what you're saying is if we have a world with criminal states, we need to have our own criminal state to fight back against it. So that's yeah. your argument. It's a pragmatic argument. And that if we have that state, um, 
it does violate some rights, but overall we're better off. So it, it's but in in form, it's no different than the socialist argument that you have to break some eggs to make an omelet. To make an omelet, you have to you have to hurt some people. Or this or the argument for the United States when we bomb. You know the brown people in Arabia, and we say, "Well, we killed two hundred thousand Iraqis, but hey, there's collateral damage." So there's all these, <coughs> all these these euphemisms and excuses given for the for the cost of the policy that you want to advance. <coughs> so our view as anarchists is simply this: number one, to recognize that aggression is not justifiable, and number two, to recognize that states are inherently criminal. So that's the first step of being an anarchist. Um, well, just to clarify, so I agree on both of those things. I think that correct. the reason I brought up morality is because I have a view of objective morality. And so in my view, it's always immoral to force people to do anything they don't consent to doing. So in that case, I agree. The, the non-aggression principle is correct. It is always immoral to force people to do things that they don't consent to doing. I agree. And I, I agree I, that... Actually, let's be To be technical here, I, I actually don't agree with that because... Um, if someone is like, uh, you know, invading your castle or your home and you have to subdue them, right. you're actually coercing them or forcing them. And that's not immoral because they are the aggressor. So your statement is not actually correct. You it, it is actually moral to uh, to use force against people that are uh, that are harming you. Right. That's, mine goes a little further than that, but it's uh, in general, it's cl close enough for the point of the conversations. Okay. But. And I agree that the government, the entire purpose of the government is to do that. It's to force other people to do things they don't really want to consider doing this. The entire purpose of the government. So I agree with both I know, of them. I never, I never said that. I, I, but, well, you seem like you're in favor of the government. I'm actually opposed to it because it does that. Yes. So, so, so I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing that, yes, because it does that, it's bad and that is immoral. So I agree okay. it's immoral. I agree that's what the government does. And so the government is thereby immoral or bad or unjustified, whatever version you want to use. So I agree with both of your first two principles. But I think that there are necessarily, because of the way reality operates, some cases where restricting one person's freedoms can protect a greater number of other people's freedoms. So if I force some people to be soldiers and force them to fight in a war against Hitler, say, that's going to protect the millions of Jews he's going to mass murder. So the sacrifice of the X number of soldiers in World War II probably well, saved more lives well, than it cost. Well, hold on, hold on a second. But but it but it didn't save the Jews. I mean, the Holocaust actually happened, even though we had conscription. And I, I mean, I, not I would, for the Jews in America. The Jews in America were safe. Well, yeah, but is that because of conscription? I mean, I mean, yes. Uh, so so like. We needed soldiers to fight a war. If we didn't have soldiers, we would have lost the war. Yeah, Hitler would have, have taken America. We have soldiers now without conscription. So uh, apparently it's possible to have soldiers without conscription. Sure, but that's not the point. The point here is that some actions where you force people to do things will protect a greater number of people. And that means that there are cases where it is a good thing to force an immoral action onto some people because it saves more people like the trolley problem is it moral to kill one to save five um and so in the case of the government i think that most of the decisions the government has to make like taxes stoplights um property rights militaries i think all of these are examples where there is a bad thing that's done to promote or prevent a worse bad thing well, I, I think that in emergency situations, then we have to scramble and try to do things that are that are not ideal, but that are usually caused by the people that are now claiming to be our saviors. I mean, I, I don't think the government is, a, is especially moral or efficient or non-corrupt in doing these things. They're always corrupt. They're always they always bungle it, and they usually cause the problem that we're fighting in the first place. I mean. I don't think we would have had World War II if the U.S. had not intervened in World War One and had the Versailles Treaty and all this, all this nonsense. Uh, and the same thing with 9/11. I don't think we would have had an Arab blowback. We hadn't been involved in the Middle East all these years. Maybe we need to step back and look at the root cause of these problems and say, what's a principal position that we should take? And I, I believe, if you're going to have a moderate American libertarian classical liberal position, it should be that the U.S. should be mighty, powerful, strong, trade, engage with the world, mind our own damn business, like re uh, reduce our military, withdraw our troops, 
Stop interfering around the world. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I want to go back to the first thing you said. The first thing you said is exactly the topic I'm trying to get to is like, what is the root cause of this? And to me, the root cause is evolution and biology. Evolution and biology, people are going to want to take your stuff for their own needs. That's just a part of how life works. And That's there's true. a limited amount of resources. And some people are going to try to take more. And there are cases where you're going to need to improve pose restrictions on one group of people to protect another group of people and that's just basic physics entropy uh, essentially well, and so well, this well, not, i just want to clarify one thing it seems like the main issue here isn't the government it seems like the main issue here is nature and we yeah. need the government to protect against no. nature that's the part so 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 so, so let, let me try to make some distinctions here so i think what you're hitting on here is something that is the root of my whole view and the libertarian view which is that we live in a world of scarcity, okay? Which means scarcity means that conflict is possible, okay? So you're correct about that. There's a scarcity of resources, conflict is possible. Human beings, and this is how the animal kingdom works and, and the, whole, the whole domain of life, this is how it works. It's all competing for resources. Um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the human, in the human domain, we have intelligence and we've developed empathy and values and we've developed society, which means at least some of us have certain values beyond our narrow self-interest. Like we, you know, we value our families and our community. Um, <laughs> and so, the, the ones that have prospered are the ones that have developed uh, social rules, which we call property rights, right? Which basically say, listen, we recognize that there are scarce resources, so we can either fight with Fight, fight among ourselves all the time for this, and we're going to live in a world of hand-to-mouth uh, poverty. Or we can have socially recognized ownership rules, which says, okay, this guy gets that, this guy gets that, and we, then we can trade with each other, have the specialization of labor, have empathy for each other, have society, have civilization, and so on. That's actually what's happened to a degree. Okay, so – I wouldn't say government is there to impose restrictions on people. Government – what I would say is this. I would distinguish as a libertarian and as an anarchist between state and government. The state is the organization or the institution or the entity which has assumed a monopoly power to decree what the law is in a given region, a given geographic region. That's what the state is. And yeah, the, why? Why did, why did we invent the state? Why did humans adopt – governments in the first place what is the point that's a good question I, I think it i think it emerges for for various reasons which you can explain from public choice theory and and other things but I, I just want to distinguish quickly government as a concept versus state government means the governing institutions of society which would be i would say law and justice and the courts and things like that in today's world the state has emerged as a powerful entity and has monopolized these these realms, just like it's monopolized healthcare and roads and communication and transportation, and um, and so nowadays your average person can't. If you say the government should not have roads or the government shouldn't have education or the government shouldn't have a healthcare system, the average person thinks that you're, you're suggesting getting rid of those things. But of course, those things predated the state and can exist without the state. Um, and the same thing is true of law and justice. So governance is not some – so some anarchists say they're against law, but what they really mean is the state if they're, if they're not confused. So as – me as an anarchist, I'm not opposed to law, order, courts, or government in general any more than I'm opposed to roads. I'm just opposed to government ownership – I'm sorry, state ownership of roads state ownership and provision of education and justice and courts. Okay, so the state is what we oppose, not government per se. So then the question is, when government emerges, why does it emerge? Government emerges because it's advantageous to, the, to an empathetic, uh, civilized human species to have rules of property rights recognition, which is what governance is. The state emerges because – so I think a simplistic version is the state emerges because – um, uh, well, in, in the beginning, it makes sense. There's a, a king emerges, a small 
leader in a tribe because he has wisdom and he has authority. He's respected. He has integrity. And you need someone to arbitrate disputes and to make decisions, right? So kings emerge, and then over time, they take advantage of their pride of place, right? And so you have people that have a monopoly position acting like monopolists because that's what happens when you have a monopoly granted. And so over time, they take over the money system and the education system and the, and, and the road system and the healthcare system. And people start thinking of it that way. And this is the system we've, we've arrived at, and especially with the arrival of democracy after World War I, um, where the whole system is corrupted, where almost everyone has an invested interest um, in the state because they have a relative or they're working with the state or they're getting a pension from the state or something like that. So it's all entangled now. You know, When there's a monarchy or a despot, you can – you know who your enemy is and you can cut their head off and they can only get away with so much taxation. But when we have democracy, it's all diffused and everyone's part of the state. And in fact, you hear propaganda and slogans like, oh, don't complain if you're being taxed at 45% because after all, we are the state. We are the government because you can vote, right? So all this kind of nonsense propaganda and mumbo jumbo. Anyway, that's a word salad, but that, that's sort of my take on this whole system. Well, again, so so my perspective is, suppose I am trying to start a country and I want to pick the system that I want. I want to pick the system that has the best results. I want to do the one that has least death, least hunger, most prosperity of life, longest longevity. Um, and the key to this, what are the features that produce or that are conducive to the best quality society? I'm looking at the data. It looks like government does very, very good at these. Like if we look at all but the countries again, in the world. But again, are you talking about the state or, the, or government? I use those synonymously. So I'm when exactly. I whenever I say government, that's I just right, mean whenever whenever I say government, I mean a governing body who has a military and control over it and makes laws and stuff. So just try to keep that in mind, just because it's my okay. language. Okay. It's hard to change. So you that. mean the state? Okay. Yes. So so I'm, I'm trying to establish what kind of policies I should put in place, what kind of country I should run. I want a government. I want a guy in charge. I want a military. I want taxes. I want stoplights. I want drug legalization well, in certain just, cases. Just, Clear. So, so because you envision, you see the world as having two hundred governments or states, and some are bad, some are some are less bad, and the any area that doesn't have one is just chaos and Somalia or something like that, right? So you're thinking like we have to have a state, so let's get the best one of among these alternatives. Is that is that your perspective? No. So I'm saying if I'm trying to establish a country i'm looking at the data what are the countries that have the best results they're all the ones with the governments uh they have the best results the ones with no governments don't have that's the best what I, that's results. What I just, right well no you said like they're all bad or they're all good or whatever i'm saying that just trying to make an inductive analysis okay. if i'm trying to pick a system and looking at the data which is the system that has the highest likelihood of success or whatever look at the ones that have the best results and those tend to be governments there aren't a lot of extremely successful and capped governments around so let me let me ask you this. When when you say best results, how how would you measure best results? Quality of life, standard of living, longevity okay. of life, prosperity, just general open society, that Health. kind of civil liberties. Probably yes. What do you mean probably? What why why do you have well, to so say like we could imagine a hypothetical society where everyone is slaves, but they have a better life expectancy and better technology than we have here. I can probably go without the civil liberties if that was the case. So lean more towards like health measurements more than civil liberty measurements. So you, you would see a society of healthy, happy, docile slaves is better than a free this, people? Yes. So like the way right. I envision it is when AI takes over artificial intelligence, it's going to do everything and we're essentially going to become pandas and that's it. And I'm, I think that's so, 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 so you're not measuring your... The, the measures you're using to to um, to compare different uh, consequences or outcomes, you're not taking ethics at all into account. You don't give that any value. It's just pure material something like survival or something. Yes, pragmatic measurements supersede ethics in every case. So like um, it, it could be ethical but, to give all. But, but don't you believe the purpose of a life is to live a happy, meaningful, fulfilled, flourishing life? None of that involves ethics, but yes. What's that? Happy, meaningful, 
and flourishing, none of those require ethics. Those You could be a slave and do all of those things hypothetically. But my point here is that I think that the quality of life is better than the moral aptitude. So I was going to give an example. I, I understand. But, 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 but quality, I'm just trying to say, quality by your perspective doesn't include um, ethics, any, any values. It does include values, but it supersedes biological needs over values. So values are lesser importance than biological needs. So, like for example, I just want—I wanted to give this example. Try to but, give but, like but, times. but happiness is not a biological. I mean, happiness well, is. is not biological, right? But it, it, it literally is. But uh, all right, go ahead. So, like, it's moral to give all your money to charity. But if you give all your money to charity, you're going to be homeless. So if you I, have, I don't think I don't think it's moral to I'm a, I'm a Randian. This is just this is just this is just an example, <laughs> hypothetical example. You don't need to agree to it. There are cases where if you take the highest level of morality to its perfect extreme, that can lead to bad consequences. You lose happiness in life because you gave all your money to charity. You like I wanted to help as many people as possible. Just gave all my money away. Now you're homeless and miserable. So your but, values but that, of maybe that, that means it's not moral i mean it's it, it morality is not a suicide pact right i mean if something if you take some moral principle and it leads to death and destruction then it wasn't a moral principle because morality has to be practical no i don't i, don't... I mean we're not all kantians you know i mean some of us are actually realist aristotelians like ayn rand are you well familiar? so if morality was practical that seems to undercut most of your position in a lot of ways, if no, hypothetically, because you bought into the dichotomy, you think there's a dichotomy. Hypothetically, so so hypothetically, if governments did lead to a better society, even if they were violating people's rights, based off of your definition, then you'd it have to say they were more by better society. Like I said, libertarians believe in justice as a side constraint. So for us, you cannot justify something that's unjust, and you seem to want to sidestep that by saying it's forget about principles. Let's just talk about biological prosperity or something like that, like the survival of the human race. Well, what do you mean by pragmatic here? Because by pragmatic, we're talking about literal physical interactions in the world as opposed to hypothetical, theoretical, pie-in-the-sky values. That's more of the of morality in the non-practical sense. So if we're talking about well, pragmatic... Well, you're the one who used pragmatism. I mean, so right. you, you you seem to think that, I, I mean, I, I don't actually use that term. I use consequentialism, like uh, what policies result in the best outcomes, but yeah. what the best outcomes and what the better society is depends upon your values. And you seem to be basically having this materialistic or mechanistic view that like basically the survival of the human race where people aren't rioting, like if they're slaves happy in their cells or whatever, then that is like a surviving human species in theory, right? Because they're just surviving and we're propagating the human race. Like, like that's some end in itself. I don't see why that's an end in itself. Uh, so like, would you consider a society where every human being has homes, food, televisions, and internet, um, everything most Americans have today, but no property rights, a better or worse society than a society where they have property rights, but a quarter of the population is starving to death. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't quite understand the, I, I don't, I don't think it's possible to have a, a highly advanced, prosperous technological society without property rights. I don't think, I think it's, well, it's, that's relevant. So there's clearly no logical contradiction. Like there's absolutely no logical contradiction. So what, Necessarily so what, is possible. What, what's my, alternative, by, my alternative is what is, is like a, a communist society with, Yes, like super crazy Marxist communist. Because I'm not, I'm not a Marxist communist. I don't like those. I don't like those either. But yeah, we're gonna hypothetically maybe, imagine maybe some them. space alien comes down and gives sure. us everything. whatever. Okay, fine. Sure, sure. So we have a hyper super Marxist society where there are zero property rights, but everybody has houses and foods and electricity and TVs. Well, hold on, but having a house is a property right. So I don't understand what you mean. Having a place where they can live that's like protection from the weather, not like literally owning a house. Having like a place to be protected from the weather, not literal ownership. So they have places to live. They have food that they are given. They have electricity and TVs. It's like a panda. A panda has a house. The panda doesn't own the cage, though. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, but someone owns it. Someone does. The zoo owns the cage. The panda is. So who 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 owns the house? The government. The Marxists. We're okay, Marxism, so, communism. So the government owns everything. Government that owns a house and they let everyone live in their nice little uh, luxury panda cages. apartments. Yes. Okay. Panda cages, and so. And compare and, that, and but but they don't have 
they don't have property, no property rights. What, what does that mean? They they can't they can't like offer they can't. their neighbors to move into their nicer house. What does it mean not to have property rights in that society? I don't know. What does it mean in a Marxist communist society? Well, it means there's no there's no nice panda houses, and so I you're coming up with this unrealistic scenario. Wait, no, 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 that's not Marxism. Doesn't say nobody gets a nice house. That's literally not anywhere in Marxism. It, but that's what happens. No, no, no. So again, we're talking about property rights here. So this shouldn't be a hard example to follow. Imagine everyone has a place to live. They have food. They have all of their necessities met. They have entertainment met. They just don't own anything. They own nothing. Literally own nothing. Like a panda. A panda owns literally nothing. Any human who has, who owns the zoo can go in and take whatever they want. So we're going to say aliens own everything. We own nothing. No humans own anything. So no like, a, so like the, the shirt in their closet and the apple on their counter. Nope. That's all owned by the aliens and you get, get it on loan and they can take it away anytime they want. Aliens okay. own everything. All right. All right. Go ahead. All right. I'm with you. So in that society, all food, all needs met completely. Nobody's dying of hunger. Zero deaths of hunger. Is okay. that society better or worse than a society that has values of freedom, but a quarter of the population is starving to death? Uh, well, I think one side of me says I can't answer that question because I, I mean the purpose of libertarian and political philosophy is not to say which society is better. But what I would say is that um, the, the first society you described, it's unjust to violate people's property rights. I agree. And you can't justify it. I so, agree. Um, so if you ask me as a personal – which is not, not, not my stance as a libertarian, but my stance as a human being in, in today's America – I would prefer the second society because I, I value freedom, right? And I value autonomy and I value property rights and justice. Um, and I actually think the scenario is so, so unrealistic. I don't, I reject it. I think that in a free society, we would be richer. I, I, I suppose you could imagine a scenario where we have a, um, a society like you're envisioning in case number two and some space aliens come down and they just give us these unimaginable, not un not even unimaginable riches, but they give us like a nice baseline of welfare rights, um, but they put us in cages. I mean, I don't know. I think I think there are some people that would prefer to live in a cage. They do now. That's what the welfare system is. I, I think I would prefer to be free, even if I'm a little bit more poor. Okay, so the point here is just to make a comparison between the difference between a pragmatic society versus the value society. Those are not synonymous. There's different things. And so you can, a pragmatic society is defined by the life standards, living quality, those kinds of things, independent yeah. of the values. The value things just are less important yeah. for some people. And so in my view, it seems clearly like the case that everyone is surviving and thriving and has everything they need, but don't own anything. It's obviously better the fact that they own anything is is inconsequential like who cares about that that's irrelevant well I, I agree ownership just means the practical ability to control resources so if you have that anyway you don't need it which is why we only need property rights in a world of scarce resources so if we have some kind of guarantee of support or sustenance or in a world of the land of eden you know where everything is free and and and, and super abundance property rights make no sense uh, the purpose of property rights is to stop conflict, but if you have some kind of super alien or, or some kind of super government that controls us and prevents crime and gives us all the resources we, we need. But then you said we have everything we need. I don't think we have everything we need. I mean, sorry. Right, we don't. It's a hypothetical. I agree. We, it's a hypothetical. No, but it's, a, it's, 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 it's inconceivable that we have everything we need because the world is a world of scarcity. And. There are at least some people in this community that want more than they're given by their minimum daily allotment, and they're not allowed to get more than that because there's no private property rights. So it's a hypothetical. It's not meant to be realistic. It's meant to isolate variables. The whole point of thought experiments is to isolate variables here. So the I, so what you said right in the middle there was property rights are meant to stop conflict, and that's the part that I'm interested in here. So yeah. I used a hyper extreme example on the positive end where yeah. we don't need property rights because they don't stop value at this point but it also goes the other way on the negative end um, we can take away property rights to stop conflict in the case of say conscripting lots of no. military people yeah. to stop a different person from attacking you so okay. in that case no no no, no that's true but, but when you take away property rights that is conflict itself taking away property rights simply means that you're coercing someone's body into a service that they don't want to do. So that itself is an act of conflict. 
okay, so like in the case of the aliens, we're conscripting their bodies to not have property rights and they want to do something differently, have property rights. Well, that's conflict too, but that conflict supersedes the value of the property rights in both cases. So in both in the super positive case and then in the super negative case, taking away people's property rights is a better society. So it <laughs> seems to me that in the case but, of like- But that's a but so that's a collectivist attitude. I mean, it's I don't know. You can't have a better society because- <clears throat> Society is the sum total of individuals, and we're, I mean, I'm an individualist. Number one, I'm not a collectivist. I'm not a white nationalist or whatever the hell it is. I, I am mean, also an individualist. I agree. Okay, so the only relevant actors politically and socially are individuals, and the only rights that are held and the only values that matter are those held by individual actors. Okay, and so if you're if you're making one person's life worse by their perspective. Which you are doing by coercing them into becoming a conscript, then I'm an Austrian as well. So I believe value is subjective and can't be interpersonally compared in an, in a in a in a cardinal way. You can't have numbers that compare these things. And by the way, even if you could, it would still be unjust. So even if even if taking half of Elon Musk's wealth to pay the you know the bottom. 10,000 poor people in the world makes them all better off. It makes him worse off. And you can't compare that and say, well, the world is better off because there's no way to sum up these values. Uh, I'm not a utilitarian. I mean, uh, utilitarianism is methodologically flawed. You cannot get numbers from this. And again, even if you could, it would still be theft of Elon Musk's wealth to take his stuff. Right. So I agree with that, but I think that we can definitely measure it. So if I take half of Elon Musk's wealth and save the lives of 10 million people by letting them providing them houses and electricity and food that seems to be like a net gain for the world even though well, it's a, for, a well, first, from Elon. first of all we, we know that that's not this is a not realistic hypothetical number because you can't just take his wealth and save everyone and then we're we're good for go because you've established a principle you've eroded property rights you've made future elon musk's less likely whatever and the government is going to be corrupt. They're going to misdirect half the resources and they're not going to they're going to fuck up half the poor they're trying to help anyway. But even if we forget all that, uh, you said you said it seems to be OK. Well, that's just your that's your intuition. That's your gut thing. That's not a numerical assessment. That's not a cardinal judgment. You can't measure these things. Uh, you must not be an Austrian. Are, are you familiar with Austrian subjective value theory? I've heard of it, but no, I don't. I don't believe in subjective values. I'm a moral realist. I believe in objective no, no, values. No, no, no. You're talking ethics. So Austrians. Yes. About, I, I'm also not a subjectivist in terms of economics, uh, in terms of ethics, like you are. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think on that. Well, well, that's why I brought this up because we can objectively measure if there's an objective moral no, not, system. But you're literally what, not measuring. Measuring means giving a number. Yes, that's what I'm doing. So if there's an objective measure of morality, we can give a number and say. Like What's my mo my model of morality is based off of consciousnesses. If more consciousnesses that are imposed upon involuntarily, the more immoral the world is. So if someone's starving to death, that world is worse than if less yeah. people are starving to death. So so but wait that, wait that, wait that, wait, that, wait let me finish let me finish. So if we take half of Elon Musk's money and use it to feed and hose people, the level of immorality of that world has significantly dropped. It is a far more moral world. But that, that's um, a, that's only because you're counting each person as the same level. Like you're yes. saying, okay, there's there's a hundred million people that are helped, and there's one person that's harmed. Yes. So you're doing a hundred million to one. Yes. That's not how utilitarianism works. I mean, you not a utilitarian. You 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 are being a utilitarian, actually. No, no, I'm a moral realist. So I think we're maximizing a moral principle. But you're not maxi maximizing. Is a numerical thing. You haven't yes. given a quantity. You're giving a quantity did. of human beings. So yes. let, let me give you an example. Let's let's suppose that uh, you take a billion dollars from Elon Musk, and that really pisses him off because let's say he just he just made two billion, and it was always important for him to make two billion dollars. You know that was his life goal, and you just took that two that one billion away from him. So you 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 psychologically hurt him, right? You damaged him. You would agree to that? Sure. And then you distribute it to all the other four billion people in the world. You give every Every one of the remaining seven billion, uh, eight billion people in the world, you give them each one eighth of a cent or whatever it works out to be. Now, how do you know that the sum total of the benefit that these eight billion people get from getting this 
a half a one eighth of a cent each from Elon Musk is greater than the damage you did to him. They in that case, it wouldn't. But I, that's why I wouldn't do that. I'd give it to a select number of people who could literally change their lives. So if I can literally change the lives of a hundred thousand people, one million people, yeah, but that's not a, a number. Billion, so you're, you're coming up with but, an arbitrary ethical framework to 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 count a given person as a yes or a no in your in your quantity. But that's not what? scientific. That's not empirical. I'm not sure what anything you just said is. So if I can take someone's life who's dying and save their life and keep it alive in perpetuity for them to live out the rest of their life in relative comfort, that would count as let's call that one. So so we have a hundred thousand people, well, well, a million well, well, people. What, what if they are what if they were a rapist or something and they deserve to die? I mean, I mean, you, you, the problem. It'd still is the, be moral to improve their lives and just not let them rape people. So I, I completely disagree. Do you think it's moral to kill people who are bad? I didn't say to kill them. I just simply said you can't simply say as a as – a, as a, the, the problem with what you're doing is you're doing – and I've written on this before. It's the problem with armchair reasoning. So the reason I'm a, I'm a common law type lawyer and I respect the evolutionary process of the law and the Roman law, the civil law, and the, and the common law is that legal principles get developed over time when judges consider real cases, which means there's a real dispute between real people, real actors over actual scarce resources, and they have a dispute and a conflict, and they come to the court, and they want to settle this dispute, and the court has to come up with a rule who gets, who gets the resources in question, and they have to revert to previous principles that have been developed, and they have to come up with a new one if necessary, but they get to take into account all the factors in a real-world scenario. So the I'm not problem, following how this relates to the question. So I can just grant. The, the, give me a second. The problem is you're coming up with these armchair hypotheticals and you're not giving enough detail to know. So you say, well, I'm just assuming their life is better, but you're not saying yes. how or why. Having more food and not dying of hunger. There you go. That is a scientific, but, but, but actual, but measurable but fact. But an evil person having that is not better. I literally don't care. You can name as many evil well, people as you want. We're gonna stop, stop, stop. So that, that is an irrelevant statistic. We know that's an irrelevant statistic because we can measure the amount of evil people in the society. And so we can just say X number of percentage of them, some small percent is going to be evil. So what? 90 something percent won't. So that's literally an irrelevant statistic. So basically what you're saying is the well, let me say this. What do you think the purpose of law is? The purpose of law. Uh, I think there's lots of purposes, but I think the purpose is to mitigate conflict, to be able to better society and provide more people with more happiness and resources. So as you have this power idea, like you think the people that have power get in control and they can use the levers of power, the levers of law to arrange things to achieve the ends that they think are more valuable. And sometimes they're representative of the general zeitgeist, and sometimes they're not. Sure. Right? But, but that's de facto just the case. That's what power means. But Exactly. So unless you're just describing actual reality, which is a little bit boring, but that's fine, you have to have some outside standard of perspective, which you seem to do. You seem to think we should arrange society in a certain way to achieve certain goals. Yes. The question is, Whose goal are they? Your personal goals, or do you think they're the goals of society as an organism? No, or, no, I'm a moral realist. I think there's an objective fact of what is a better, like the morally best universe. I think is an objective what, fact, independent opinion. What is the objective? So you don't, so so you don't think that non-aggression is part of that calculus? It is a part of that calculus, but life is more important than that. So I think consciousness and keeping people alive is survival, more important. Survival is more important to you than anything. What say that again? Survival. Yes. So like you have to be like one of the primary things people want is to live and not die. And so keeping people alive is a moral thing. So more people we keep alive but, but, is more moral. But, but wouldn't you wouldn't you give your life for something? Aren't there some values you would give your life for? Values. Aren't there some mm. are there something something in your life that's more important than your life? Isn't there something values. you would die for? Maybe, but that's irrelevant to the question. So the it's question here is, it literally is. So the question here is, do most people want to live? Yes. And so is saving their lives moral? But they yes. want to live as men. They don't want to live that's, as just that's, organisms that's not, that's not, for surviving. It's irrelevant. Relevant. So I don't, you can say they can live whatever way they want to live. But if I'm taking money from Elon and we take away his manliness or whatever and give money to these people and then they have manliness or whatever they define as manliness, the world is a net improvement. It's so. Not, 
I'm talking about eudaimonia, Aristotle. I mean, this is not what? something I just made up. What? I didn't flourishing. I, I mean, I are you familiar with the idea of living a flourishing life, a healthy yes. life, as living proper as a man? Yes, but I don't I don't understand the problems here because that's independent. It's subjective to the person of what they define as that. So that's irrelevant because because so everybody likes life, so, everybody so likes food. You're so, you're so hostile to what you think of as subjectivism. And I think what? if you read more Ayn Rand, you you might benefit from it um well eudaimony I, is inherently subjective what what it means to be a so, man so, is subjective to society so hold on you're so hostile to subjectivism that you're hostile to austrian economics which is what? subjective value which is not subjective in the economics so that's a misconception i have not, no idea what you're oh, talking about i, I know like, um, like my argument here is that people having food and living lives and being able to survive for longer than 15 years makes their life better and but it Elon does Musk, but it doesn't that's not true. It doesn't. It doesn't make your life better. Not per se. I mean, what you're what you're what you're going towards is you're going to something objective that you can measure, which is just what, what percent viable. What percent of humans that if we make their life from ten to fifteen years to ninety years won't be better? Say again. You said it wasn't per se, which means not a hundred percent of people yeah. whose lives we expend to like from what, dying what, what, of hunger what, what, at ten. Wait, 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 one second, one second, let me finish. So you said it's not per se that if we increase people's lives to the normal life expectancy that they would be necessarily better, which I agree. So I want to know what percent of humans, if we increase their life from dying at under 10 from hunger to living till 98, would not be better on the average on earth. I have no idea, but but the, it's but less the, than one percent. The point is, but but, but yeah, but the, the point is. So that means ninety nine percent of people's lives would be objectively better I think, I if we the let problem, them live the entire lifespan of a human. Okay, so so you say that you're not a collectivist, you're an individualist, but you keep right. using this term "better," which I do think is collectivist because I put it this way: my standard is not what's better for society. I mean. That's how I would word it normally, but if I'm going to come up with someone who's a who's a uh, reluctant collectivist, then I have to be more careful. My view is I'm a selfish individualist, and I want to live a good life for myself, and I want to live in a world where everyone else does well too. And doing well means living as a human should live, which means living as a free, self-determined person in a world of scarcity, which we all are facing that, right? Um, and so… Uh, hold on, let me plug my iPad in so I don't lose power. <laughs> um, and so I value a system of rules that are widely respected in society so that we can live in society in Oh, I can't hear you. I can't I've lost sound. Oh. No sound. No sound. Ugh. I need a pen. Ugh. Piece of paper. Hey Siri, show notes. Damn it. Damn it. I can't hear you. No sound. I can't hear you. No, no sound. Testing. Uh, Testing. Yeah, I know what happened. Uh, I plugged it into my... That's fine. I've got 12% battery left. We can go until it's over. All right. So um, I... What I was... Well, okay. Let, let me just say... Let me repeat what I just ranted about. <laughs> what I said was, you say you're an individualist, but when you say it's a better society if some American GIs are conscripted because some Jews are saved. Okay. The Jews are better off. The American GIs are dead. So some people are worse off. Some are better off. 
Yes. So the only way you can say it's a better result is if, with a collectivist standard, not an not an individualist one. I'm not following this. So like, if more individuals are better off, then it's better from an individualist perspective. But why why are you summing people by number of people? Well, if I'm an individualist, the number of individuals is is what matters. Yeah, but but there, it's not binary. You can't like just value every person equally. Why not? But why? That's the question. See, the bur you're trying to reverse the burden of proof. You're trying well, to just act like this is a normal assumption. Everyone agrees that every person has equal worth on a cardinal level. I don't think anyone has any cardinal value at all. I mean, people people have rights, but they don't have like a 1.0 value for each person, and we can sum them up. So as I mentioned earlier, in my model of moral realism, I think that all consciousnesses have value, and so each conscious person has about equal value. About equal. Yeah. So even even like Hitler. Yep. So when Hitler's killed, that's a tragedy. Yes, it's any involuntary imposition of will is immoral. Okay. Well, we see the world totally differently, but that's fine. But I'm not. That was just to answer your question. Do I see all consciousnesses as having value? Yes. Yes, I do. Well, so I think no, you, perfect. You, you I, I assume you don't see uh, frogs as having equal value with humans. Mm, yes, because they have less level of consciousness. Okay, so it's the level of consciousness. It's not their morality. It's not what they've done in life. Not how many people nope. they help. Not how good they are. Nothing. Nope. So, so you're kind of a a moralist. No, the moral standard is consciousness and imposition of consciousness. That's that's objective moral system. It's not amoral. Well, I, it's just. I, I mean, it's this is not. I don't have to tell you. This is it's interesting, but it's not libertarianism. Well, I know I'm not a libertarian, but I can tell. Or what you are. Be. By the way, going back to our earlier thing, to, to stop on the contentious stuff, which is not going anywhere, if you really want to know my personal view about a practical thing that maybe we could see a slightly AI on, if you wanted to have a world of 200 states or more than 200 states or whatever, given the fact that you can't have an anarchistic co community because they would be dominated by the rest, which I don't actually believe, but that's fine, um, I, I kind of uh, am sympathetic towards Hans Hermann Hoppe's pro-monarchist idea, which is the idea that um, the ancient regime, the model of the, of the kind of ancient, limited, parliamentary, hereditary monarchies, um, they're not perfect, and they're not ideal, and they're not completely just, but they are far better in most respects than the modern democracies that emerged from them after World War I, and that if you had to choose between the modern democratic states and a monarchy, uh, you would want to choose a monarchy because it would be it would be a better way of organizing that local uh, jurisdiction. So I don't know if that gets to what you're, but earlier you're talking about how we respond to the danger of states and things like that. I I, I mean ideally I would like to envision a world of twenty thousand or a hundred thousand Liechtenstein's right, which band together in defensive alliances to fight off the evil Soviet Union or whatever or China that exists in the corners, but these would be flourishing and free, respected citizens' rights, have reasonable restrictions on liberty, etc. Right. And my view is that that's just completely contrary to the way nature operates. And the whole reason governments were established in the first place was for military defense and that we needed organizations of large groups of people to protect against other organizations of large groups of people. And so there aren't ever going to be a billion Lichtensteins who can protect against a China. You need a UK and a US to protect against China okay. because the only way to allocate enough resources to be able to defend a large group who's also using coercive means to establish a military is a different coercive means to establish a military. Same way as the only way to build a nuclear bomb or a nuclear test facility is by taking billions of dollars of taxpayers' money to build it. Um, and so it seems like if we were to build two societies, one where yours, your principles are instantiated and one where mine are instantiated, most people would probably choose using, you mentioned Robert Nozick and his He's, he has the free transit society idea. You just build different societies. People can go to whatever society they like. It seems like most people go to my society. They probably pick the one where a quarter of the population isn't starving to death and they have all their needs met. And so that seems to be the reason why so many governments take over and why so many people stay in the governments. I, th because I think there's something, there's something to all that. I think that's partly true. But I, I think that's because we're in the infancy of, of the humans, human race. I think we're still primitive. 
I always tell my friends, I think we came out of the trees too soon. I mean, we think we're smart because we have airplanes and spacecraft and nuclear weapons and lasers, but, and computers, but we're really just tribal apes still in thrall of superstition and religion and all this bullshit. Um, I'm hopeful that we can escape the gray goo problem, which I fear is coming. And if we survive the gray, the gray goo problem, gray goo is sort of a metaphor for the idea that, um, the reason we can't detect life in outer space is because, um, even if it's likely it always snuffs itself out when it gets to a certain point by, um, self-replicating robots or nuclear war or biological, you know, so the gray goo problem. Uh, so gray goo means like nanobots that go out of control and they just turn the whole surface of the planet into gray goo and sludge and there's just death. There's nothing left but death. Gotcha. Um, so I'm afraid that we have a gray goo horizon event coming. Uh, if we don't and we escape from it and we escape from our tribal urges and we become more intelligent and cosmopolitan. And look, this is my Omni magazine utopian uh uh, optimistic self, which is not normal part of myself, but I am, I am, I won't say hopeful, but I am, I hope that we, I hope that we escape this and we achieve escape velocity and that we reach a society where, um, um, with, with increased. So here's what I think with technology increasing. Okay. We'll all become richer and more powerful. And the state will become less necessary and less of a threat. And Bitcoin, too. I mean, I hate to tie Bitcoin into everything, but I think Bitcoin plays a role in this, too. If Bitcoin emerges, too, it will strangle the governments of their ex ex excess spending funds. Um, and this is what we can hope for to lead us to a true libertarian society. So I think technology and, and Bitcoin, basically. I, I'm not confident this will happen. I'm hopeful. I think it's our only hope, um, unless we want to wait 10,000 years. Um, but I do agree with you that un until that happens, we are stuck in a model where power centralizes and where um, the average person has no incentive to become a Randian in intellectual and read Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lessons, right? So you're going to have people that take control, the demagogues and the populace, um, and they're going to they're going to gain control of them through the government. And that's going to be the case for a while. Now, you say that you want, you know, a, a EU and a UK and a NATO and a US to counter China and the Soviet Union or Russia. <clears throat> I understand that. But I wonder if, in your view, the end result of that is we should just have a one world government. Like, why not? Why have seven sort of. powerful regions? Let's have a one world government. Sort of. My, my my thought is in contention with yours about the future. I think that as technology increases, we're going to get artificial intelligences and they're going to be so much better at us than everything. We're going to have a one world government, but it's not going to be of humans. It's going to be of AIs or yeah. some kind of AI human hybrid. And I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing. Like I think that's probably going to lead to the society I described before where humans become pandas. We are going to sit in our cages yeah. and yeah. be able to have food and shelter and video games. And I don't see that as a bad thing. I think that would, if, uh, as long I as we don't get all turned into paper clips, we're, we're I don't fine. see it as a bad thing either. I, I, I completely disagree with it as an, I'm, I'm an electrical engineer. I'm a technologist kind of guy, and I'm totally skeptical of all this space cadet crap as Rothbard called it. Um, uh, I mean, I like Star Trek and Star Wars, but I know that it's fiction. You know, I like Omni magazine when I was a 14 year old, but I know that it was Omni magazine. So, um, I don't actually believe I'm not actually confident that artificial intelligence is possible. And if it is possible, I think it would just be artificial intelligence. It wouldn't be super intelligence. I'm, I'm certainly not confident that super intelligence is possible. Uh, I think there's a limit to consciousness, right? How many objects you can consume and, and manage and organize, but I could be wrong about that. So I'm not afraid of this AI future. I think this is just space cadet bullshit and nonsense. Um, but Hey, we'll see what happens. But whatever happens voluntarily, I'm okay. And by the way, as a libertarian, if an AI wakes up someday, I think it would have rights and I would welcome it into the human race. And I don't think they would view us as pandas because that's a silly metaphor because pandas and crickets and ants are not sapient. They're not intelligent. They can't communicate with us. They're, they're, a, they're a complete qualitative difference beneath us. So this idea that, oh, maybe there are transcendental intelligences out there that just – 
they're so far above us they can't communicate with us uh, i think it's complete sci-fi you know uh movie nonsense um, right, i agree if, if there were they could they could definitely translate to our right so so, so why would, why would the ai look at us as pandas i mean we're not pandas we would actually be able to communicate with them so we wouldn't be pandas I, I mean, pandas, as in the case, like pandas are something that we take care of. We do all of the oh, hard work. Well, that means for... that they're evil. They would be putting fellow sentient beings in cages. Why would they do that? Well, no, 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 not putting us literally in cages. It's all doing all the stuff to take care of us. So providing this food, providing the shelter, doing well, all be, the hard work, that, doing all the scientific that'd discovery. Good, hey, that'd be great if they yes. would cure cancer and give yes. us. Well, well, they would probably, We. I mean, I, if this really is going to happen, I think it's going to be a merger of humans. You know what, what? I don't know what the, the, the transhumanists call it, but like yep. we would become, we're going to have technological implants in our brains, and it's not going to be one versus the other. It's going to be a merger of the two, I think, right? Yep. But the question is, are we going to catch that train, or are we going to die, and it's going to be our grandkids that are going to catch it? Yeah, um, I'm definitely. I think AI is probably going to come first before integration, because integration is going to be a lot harder to to actually find a way to merge chips to computers. And that's why I think more Panda root. But I did want to get your thoughts on one video real quick on Two Minute Papers, one of my favorite artificial intelligence research YouTube channels, and of the progress they've made recently in the past few months on AI. So I wanted to show this to you, if you don't mind, and hear your thoughts, because I'm definitely in the camp that uh, AI is going to win. So. Dear fellow scholars, this oh, can, can you hear that all right? Did, did you hear it? Yep. yep. Okay. This is Two Minute Papers with Dr. Karo Jolay Fahid. I cannot tell you how excited I am by this paper. Wow. Today, you will see more incredible images generated by an AI. However, not from OpenAI, but from Google. Just a few months ago, OpenAI's image generator AI called Dolly 2 took the world by storm. You could name almost anything. Cat Napoleon, a teddy bear on a skateboard on Times Square, a basketball player dunking as an explosion of a nebula, and it was able to create an appropriate image for it. However, there was one interesting thing about it. What do you think the prompt for this image must have been? Hmm, not easy, right? Well, it was a sign that says deep learning. Oh yes, this was one of the failure cases. Please remember this. Now, we always say that in research, do not look at where we are, always look at where we will be two more papers down the line. However, we didn't even make it two more papers down the line. We barely made two months down the line, and here it is. This is Google Research's incredible image generator AI, Imagen. This technique also looks at millions of image and text description pairs and learns what people mean when they say this is a guitar or this is a panda. But the magic happens here. Oh yes, it also learned how to combine these concepts together and how a panda would play a guitar. The frets and the strings seem a little wacky, but what do we know? This is not human engineering, this is panda engineering. Or a robot engineering something for a panda. We are living crazy times indeed. So, what is different here? Why do we need another image generator AI? Well, let's pop the hood and look inside. Oh yes, two things that will immediately make a difference come to mind. One. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that because it seems like we're making significantly huge progress in AI where it couldn't even recognize cats and dogs and now it's able to generate images of abstract concepts. Well, I mean, like I said, I'm skeptical of these Space Cadet Omni Magazine things. I think it's... Uh, like I'm a patent attorney, I'm a copyright lawyer, and so I've heard these things about, oh, who owns the copyright to these AI creations? Um, to me, it's a, I think it's, 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 you know, it's like saying we have self-driving cars because sometimes your car can, uh, can put the brakes on and keep you from hitting, hitting another car. I don't think we have self-driving. I don't think we're anywhere near that. Um, so I'm personally skeptical um, that we're anywhere near genuine artificial intelligence. I guess that's my perspective. I, I just, I don't think we have it yet. I don't think we're anywhere near it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we're sometime in the future, but I'm pretty confident it's going to happen. But anyway, we've been going for about an hour and I think it was a good, good conversation. Really appreciate you coming on. Do you want to give a shout out to where people can find more work if they're interested to research more of your stuff and more ideas? Sure. Uh, go to stephankinsella.com and my intellectual property work uh, where I explain why patent and copyright uh, are harmful to the human race and should be abolished is at c4sif.org, which is Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom.org. Awesome. Great. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I will let you go. Have a nice day. Thanks.